Welcome to the Your Writing Success Podcast. My name is Natasha Alsoff and I'm a Grand Prix dressage writer from Australia, author of three books and a leading online trainer of writers all around the world wanting to take their writing to the next level. I'm also a chocoholic, mother of two amazing children and obsessed with helping writers be all they can be. Each week, I'm going to bring in new stories of inspiration, ideas and strategies of how to make real progress in your writing and give you actionable advice on overcoming writing fear and anxiety so you can take your writing to the next level and be the writer you dream to be. So let's get into today's episode. Welcome to this Your Writing Success podcast on overcoming competition nerves. This is something that I know a lot of writers struggle with, so let's get into today's podcast. Okay, so what are competition nerves? Why do we have competition nerves? What is a competition nerve? What you first have to understand, and most people hate this, most people look at me and go, are you kidding? I don't like you anymore. So if that's how you feel, that's totally fine. I can totally hang with that. But basically, the understanding is that any emotion you feel is not created by the event, but created by you. So you are not nervous about competing. You have made a choice and a decision that competing to you means it's time to get nervous. And you might hear me talk about that and say, well, that's the same thing. Actually, it is worlds apart. It is worldly different. I think people seem to think, until I say this, they go, yeah, no, 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 it just happens. I get to a competition and I just get nervous. So I ask them, I go, okay, if that's if that's what happens, you just get to a competition and magically you get nervous. Is that what happens? Yeah, that's what happens. Okay. So how do you think that happens? Do you think that there's little nerve, um, nervous globules in the air? They're just little globules that float around in the air. And when you get to a competition, you just run into one and it just makes you feel nervous. And they go, no, there's no such thing as a nervous globule. I'm like, well, I know that. Do you know that? Explain how you just get nervous. Explain how that just magically happens. Because if there's a hundred people at a competition, they are all at the same event. They're all experiencing the same event, the same judge, the same test, the same warm up, the same gear check. But if a hundred of those hundred people aren't all nervous, then what's the difference? And I really want you to think about that. It's not magic. Magic does not exist. So there are not nervous globules that every single person that goes to that competition run into in the the air. They just run into a nervous globule and they suddenly all are nervous. Because when you talk to 100 people that compete, not all of them are nervous. So if not all of them are nervous, how come some people are nervous and how come other people aren't nervous? And I want you to think about that. Okay, why are some people nervous and some people aren't nervous? What would that be? What what does that mean? Think about it. And really think about it. And this is, I think, you know, people make me laugh sometimes because people go, I've got this problem, I've had this problem for years and, you know, I get nervous at competitions. It just happens. And I ask, well, what have you done to fix it? I haven't done anything. I just hope that the nerves go away. They came on their own. So I assume they'll just leave one day on their own. And I'm like, what do you think nerves are? Do you think they're like a a bad guest that 
come and stay at your house and you just hope they leave? Do you think they're an insect? That, you know, the spider just came into the house and one day the spider's just gone? Pretty sure nerves aren't an insect. What makes you think that they will behave in such a way? And then normally it's a blank look going, well, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. So I think it's really important that we learn as humans. It's something I always strive to do, which is whatever I'm experiencing to try and understand why I'm having that experience. And I'm smart enough to know and grown up enough to know what I'm about to share with you, which is it is never my experience. It's well, it's never the experience of of what's happening to me. It's what I do after. So people think it goes experience, reaction, experience, reaction. But there's a bit in the middle that people aren't aware of that's happening. It's the event happens or the experience happens, it comes into our brain and we make a choice or a decision about what that means to us. And then we have our reaction, which is why if I had 100 people lined up and I threw a pen at 100 people, would 100 people throw the pen back at my head? No, some would. Some would throw the pen back at my head. Other people would just catch the pen and go, thanks. Other people would start crying and go, why did she throw a pen at me? She doesn't like me. Other people would um, not just throw a pen back at my face, but punch me in the face. Other people would just swear at me and yell at me, but not do anything physically. There would be a myriad of different reactions to me throwing the pen. But how is that possible? Because I threw a pen at 100 people. If the event caused the reaction, I would get the same reaction from 100 people. Why I get a different reaction from 100 different people is because the same event happens, but what they made that mean changes. So one person might go, oh, she's having a bad day. I'm going to ask if she's okay. One person goes, she just tried to attack me. I'm going to attack her first. Someone else went, this is a nice pen. I'm going to keep the pen. Someone else thought, oh, yeah, she doesn't like me. Everyone in my life doesn't like me. They're all going to have different reactions to the pen throw. It's the same as, I know I'm getting sidetracked. We're talking about pens. I thought we were talking about horse competitions. But the fact remains, when we all go to a horse competition, we all decide what a horse competition means to us. To one person, it might mean a test of how good we are. And not just a test of how good we are at riding, but a test of how good we are as a human being. And you laugh, you might be laughing, but some people think their performance on a horse is somehow tied or related to who they are as a human. And that tends to be normally one of the first re- like first reasons why someone's so nervous. I, I don't get nervous at competitions. I can't because there's nothing to be nervous about. I'm going to go into my test and I'm going to see how good my dressage training is. And if the result comes back, my dressage training is horrifically bad. I am the worst rider and trainer that ever has gone at this level. And I scored 40%. That has nothing to do with me. It has something to do with me as a rider and a trainer, but nothing to do with me. And all it is, is feedback saying, Tash, you're not on the right track. Whatever you think you should be doing on the horse isn't You shouldn't be doing that. You need to be rethinking your training and rethinking the way that um, you ride and train a a dressage horse. 
The same thing, if I go to the test and I get 80% and I win and the judge has said, Tash, we think how you rode and trained is 80% of how we think you should be doing it. Again, that has nothing to do with me. That doesn't mean that now I am a good person. It doesn't mean that I am in some way better. It just means I am on the right track with my riding and training. If you can dissociate your performance on the horse to, at, at like if you dissociate your performance on the horse with who you are, you will feel completely different. Most people have it all caught up in their head. I used to think, wow, brain surgeon, you're, you, you're a good person. Being a brain surgeon has nothing to do with their, whether or not they're a good person or if they're a better person than, let's say, I am. All it means is they are way better at brain surgery than I am. But are they a better person or a better human than me? It's, that's not even in consideration. And I think we do this comparison. We do this, oh, she's a really great rider and I'm not. So she's better than me. No, you have to make sure you're, you're communicating to your brain in the correct re- real way, which is she might be a better rider and trainer than you are right now. She may know things. So when I think of Isabel Worth, who was one of my biggest heroes in, in my dressage world, never met her. We will have to get her on the podcast one day just so I can girl crush on her. But um, when I think of her, I don't think, oh, wow, Isabel, what a better human than me. I go, wow, Isabel knows some stuff. Isabel knows way more than I do. She has different knowledge in her head about how a horse is constructed, how a horse Um, how movements affect the horse's body, how the horse's body can be molded into a particular shape or way of going that makes those exercises in the Grand Prix look effortless. She has a wealth of knowledge in her head about how to ride and train and compete dressage horses at the highest level. So she has knowledge in her head that I don't have, but that's it. And guess what? I have knowledge and things in my head and things that I can do that she can't do. And you, whoever it is that I'm talking to right now, whoever is tuning into this podcast right now, you have skills and knowledge and things in your head that no one else has. And all of that doesn't make anyone better or worse than anyone else. You get what it makes us. It makes us different. And when you realize that we are all different and unique and special in our own unique, different and special way, there is no competition. There's no competition until obviously we get to a competition. Like we we enter a competition and we say, I want to compete. But you have to understand what you are competing about is who is the best horse rider trainer on the day that can present their horse in the best way to score the highest mark from this set of judges in these set of in these set of circumstances at this time that's it so there's nothing to feel nervous about it is just a check-in i literally look at a dressage test as a check-in going all right judge what do you think what do you think? This is what we've been doing at home. This is what we've been working on. Is this in alignment with what you want to see or is it not? 
And if it's not in alignment with what you want to see, I'll go home and I'll work on it. And if it is in alignment with what you see, I'm guessing I'm still not going to get 100%. So tell me what is still not perfect about this and I'll go home and work on it. Regardless of the outcome of the competition, I'm just going to go home and work on it. So it's impossible to feel nervous about feedback unless you're worried about what the feedback means. And I have made it that the feedback only is feedback about my writing and training and not feedback about my capabilities or my my goodness or greatness as a human in this world. And I know that can get mixed up. We make a really strong effort with our children to make sure that it is clear from the start that an A or an F in their maths on their maths report has nothing to do with who they are as a human, how smart they are, how wonderful they are, how much we love them and how proud we are of them. We would never say to our kids, we're so proud of that A on a maths, on a maths thing. We'd go, oh, rock on. That's awesome. If they got an F, we'd be like, rock on. That's awesome. Because either way, the A or the F tells us where you are in your understanding of maths and we can work from there. But I know that's not how, it's definitely not how I was brought up. It's definitely not how the world is wired to work. The world is wired to Good results mean you're a good person and you're okay and you get to be okay. And bad results means you get shamed and you get um, cruci- like you get yelled at sometimes, or you get you get um, you know you, it's this cancel culture. You know, there's something wrong with you. My child gets an F in maths. There's nothing wrong with them. It just means they don't understand the maths. We can fix that. Everything is fixable. If you get 50% in your dressage test, it doesn't mean you should quit. It doesn't mean that you're a bad rider. It doesn't mean that your horse is bad. It just means you don't have the understanding or the knowledge or the thing that you need right now to, to, to work it to get an 80. But you can learn that. Everything is learnable. And a bad result does not mean you are bad. It just means you have to learn something. And if you can dissociate your emotion from the judgment, more so, of I'm good or I'm bad, and it's just how much do I have to learn? At 50%, I still have 50% of the knowledge to learn. If you win with 80%, guess what? You still have 20% of the knowledge to learn. It's really irrelevant. And I find it hilarious that we as humans go around with this invisible scorecard where we are constantly judging ourselves and constantly judging others for you know whether or not we we live up to this impossible invisible scorecard that doesn't actually exist except in your own mind so I know I've gone deep I know it's probably not what you were expecting (coughs) sorry I've just got a bit of a cough Um, probably not what you were expecting when you were thinking, oh, I'm going to listen to a podcast about overcoming competition nerves. And then we were talking about pens and now we're talking about brain surgery. And now we're talking about, guess what? How you show up in the world is okay. And even if I fail, I'm still a good person. And even if I get it wrong, that's even fine too. And even if I'm on a learning journey and I have a lot of learning to do, that that's okay. Because We as a society, and it gets me so angry and it gets me so riled up that we as a society, when someone has a lot of learning to do, 
because how do we know they've got a lot of learning to do because they've had a pretty big fail they've you know maybe they got 40 percent in a dressage test or they got 40 percent in a maths test whatever the result is whatever it is we look at that and we go we judge them because they got a lot of learning to do what if we loved them and supported them and helped them with that learning journey and what if it was something to be celebrated and again, this is just my views. This is how we we run our family. You know, we celebrate learnings. We we insist on failure. We insist on learning. Um, and that was taught to me from an interview with Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely is the founder of Spanx, one of the youngest women self-made billionaires in the world. And her father said to her every night at the dinner table, Sarah, what did you fail at today? And if she couldn't say something she'd failed at, He said, go and fail at something right now and then come back to the dinner table. And I'm not saying that being a a billionaire is a definition of success. It's not. It's, It's one off. But I actually admire Sarah, not just from the empire that she's built, but from the lightness and the laughter and the love that she experiences on a daily basis because of the life that she's created. And if that's based on failure... Bring it effing on. And that's something that we do with our children. That's something that Phil and I do with each other. There is no such thing as failure. Only stepping stones to success. And if you can not be... So when you think about competition nerves, you're not scared of competition. If I told you every time you went to a competition, you would win with 100%, would you be scared of competition? absolutely freaking not you are not scared of competition you are scared to fail and you are scared to fail because you have made it mean that failure means that you are not a good person get rid of it it's all fucking bullshit it's all not real it is all in your own head everyone fails and the most successful people fail the most For those of you that don't know, I have a lot of signs up in my indoor and a whole wall dedicated to the failures that the most successful people have done. If you want to check out a photo, um, we'll put that in the show notes where we'll put the photo on our blog so you guys can um, see that photo and read about some people that have experienced um, huge, huge, huge failures before before their successes. So I've probably gone on long enough. I love you guys. I hope that this has helped you. I hope that you go into competition just appreciating the feedback and not making it mean anything about you. And I, I hope that you are getting joy and love and fun in your riding. And I, I know that's why I compete. I love to compete. I love the pressure of where am I at at 2 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon in the hail or in the sunshine, or whatever climate it is at that moment in front of those five judges, doesn't matter what I've done at home. It doesn't matter what I've done in the warm-up. It doesn't matter what I have done before. All that matters is the next six minutes in between those two little white fences of what I can bring and what I can deliver. And I love it. I'm, I go into every test going, Woo! I wonder what will happen next. And I love that feeling and I love that moment and I love just being in the zone and being of 
how can I deliver the next movement to the best of my ability? And sometimes I'm like, whoops, that didn't go as planned. And every occasionally, every now and then I go, wow, that was cool. Look at what I just created. So enjoy, have an amazing training week and I'd love to know your thoughts. Make sure to leave a review if you would like to tell us what you thought of this episode of the podcast or any others and um, make sure to check out our website, yourwritingsuccess.com to check out other resources that can help you in your writing. You can definitely go check out the link. You can just go to yourwritingsuccess.com and click on goal setting. Otherwise, um, we will put the link in the show notes where you can get my goal setting program, which explains how you go from setting goals for your life, for your 10-year vision, for your three-year vision, for your one-year vision, down to your quarterly goals, your monthly goals, your weekly goals, and your daily goals, and how you can plan that all into your yearly calendar, your monthly calendar, your weekly calendar, and your daily calendar to make sure things get done. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I trust and hope you enjoyed today's podcast and I can't wait to see the results you create for yourself in 2021. To stay up to date with the latest content, don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast. Go on, hit subscribe. I'd love if you would also love to leave us a review to help us how we could do better or make this even more amazing for you. And remember to follow us on Instagram at yourwritingsuccess and natasha.altoff.